Hey everyone, and welcome to Be A Warrior Podcast. I'm your host and above knee amputee, Angie Huser. It's that time once again to unleash the warrior within you. Are you ready? Then let's get started. Well, hey everyone, welcome back to the show. Oh my gosh, it's been a couple weeks. I know, every summer I think I'm gonna make sure that every week I'm posting, but you know what, summer just takes over and family time is so important because you don't get that stuff back. And so my boys are now off to college and it is myself, my husband, and our two dogs. So I am here back from our last trip, which was Park City, and that was a blast. I have to say, that um, another thing off a bucket list, um, we went fly fishing uh, in the river. It was my first time as an amputee and ever wading in a river to fish. So it was, I didn't know any different, uh, but it was definitely a challenge. <laughs> um, you know, the things that you don't know until you try something, you just don't. You know, I, I always laugh because people sit there and say, you know, the, the funny saying is, well, it's like riding a bike, like something that you can do without even thinking once you've done it in the past, it's easy to do. Well, riding a bike as an amputee is a totally different story, especially an above knee amputee when we don't have the knee joint to pull our leg up or move our foot around. And so when people tell me, it's like riding a bike, I'm like, so it's hard? <laughs> um, this was definitely one of those things, and it's like getting on a bike. The first time I had to get on a bike, the the points of, of contact you don't even think about. Can't use a clip, won't use a clip, because I can't get my foot out and I don't want to fall. My bike is huge um, because I want to be able to keep up with the family, so I don't need the small little tires with the electric bike. Um, it is electric, but I choose to do the exercise. But you don't think about the fact that for me to be in bike mode, I have to have my leg programmed for a bike. And it just makes it a hinged knee with no resistance. So if I put go to use my leg like I would now, it wouldn't support me, it would actually collapse if I didn't get my knee back. And so, um, Getting on a bike with a loose knee is a really hard thing to do. And I use magnet pedals and maglock pedal, uh, maglock pedals and, and magnet on my shoe um, to help keep my foot on. But it's the getting on and the getting off that's the hardest part. So when it comes to doing something new, like fly fishing in a river, having to cross it, um, I didn't think I was gonna have to cross a river. I thought I was gonna be wading in a river on the edge. Um, when we got there, the guys that were our guides in Park City said, all right, so we're crossing the river here and I'm looking at this thing and it's hauling. I gotta tell you, there was a moment I was like, okay, okay, I can do this. Like they didn't flinch, they were like, you got this. And I'm like, okay, and so, Needless to say, it's not something I could just do walking across by myself. One, I'm in big, huge boots and wading, uh, wading outfit, heavy. Two, um, the rocks and the surface are uncertain and slippery. And three, you got a current. So I had everything going against me. Like I have worked so hard to cross that river. It didn't, wasn't wide where we went. 
but um, it took a couple minutes to get across. I laugh now because, of course, I can laugh now about it. <laughs> but there was a point in time where um, one of my first steps, I have a, a guide on either side of me. My husband was there too. And I had three people watching and making sure I was held up. And one point in time, I literally stepped and I trusted my foot. My prosthetic was there and I went into the water like really deep past my waist. It was like I went into like a manhole cover, like picture like three people walking on a street and in a cartoon, the middle person just kind of falls down into the sewer. That's how it felt like to me until I realized that the current flipped my prosthetic back, something that takes me, my body weight to flip through and get to move. The water just took it without even any effort. So then I had to worry about that. So crossing going one way and the river going to my left towards my bad leg was hard, but what was harder was coming back and the current trying to sweep my leg across my good leg. That one took forever. <laughs> Needless to say, and you know, everything was intense. Like the anxiety was intense and the grabbing on to everybody around me was intense, but I made my boys <laughs> videotape me so I could A, see how I did, be proud of what I did, and laugh at myself afterwards, because if you don't laugh at yourself, you cry. So that was an interesting time. Now, that's what we did this past week, and we just got back. And like I said, my boys are in college, and, you know, home with my hubby, and just, it's weird. I don't know why this year strikes me differently, but I got a senior and a sophomore, and I'm starting to realize that this is the last fall where I'm sending both boys off to college. Like, how is that even possible? I was just homeschooling them the other day and they were just knee high. So that is why these vacations become important. And as much as I love you all, I also need to be there and do what I need to do for my family and be completely 100% connected because that's the important thing, right? The people that have been there supporting me through all this craziness I've been through in the last I don't know how many years it's been, you know, five years, nine years, almost 10 years. No, it's, it's been nine, 10 years now, this year that my accident happened in karate. And for everything they gave up and for all the efforts they put in to make me feel loved and in, you know, super, super duper special when I was going through hard knocks and praising me when I accomplished things and always there cheering me on. You know what? I, I need to be there when I can be. And I, when I need to be there, I need to be there mentally and um, physically, right? So my apologies for missing another week, but we should be on a roll now. Um, we do have some vacation time coming up and we'll see how that goes, but we are here and I'm happy to be here. I missed you all, and I hope that you are still here listening. And I really hope that this this next few weeks, I hope, kind of help you in some way. Because what I want to talk about, and I, I gosh, I couldn't even sleep last night because I was thinking and thinking and thinking how I wanted to do this. And I truly believe this is going to be a, a short series, maybe three, maybe four weeks um, of talking about fear. There is, I mean, fear is, is a huge topic. 
uh, for anybody going through anything medical, when you go into a hospital, when you have something major done, for anybody. But I thought that I would take fear in different segments of becoming an amputee and see if you can take some of this out for wherever you are in your life. Because really, it, it can go for anybody. But I, again, speak only from my experience. I'm not educated in that any way, shape, or form. Uh, I just have my teaching degree in science. But um, yeah, I just thought this was an important topic. And I hope you listen to all of these. I, right now in my mind, I'm thinking there's three, three weeks on fear. This week, I want to focus on fear of the unknown. That is huge. That was really huge for me. Not so much during all my surgeries. However, that at times did come up. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. I was raised in a family with three big brothers. And I was always just, nothing stopped me. Um, and actually, the more they said, oh, you're just a girl... Um, would just make me dig in my heels more to prove them that I could do whatever a guy could do. And um, that's probably made me really tough and primed me for what I had to go through. I I believe my faith has gotten me through a lot. And I believe that um, everything in our life happens to, to us for a reason to prep us for what's to come, good and bad. And so I think that I was prepped all along to really um, be able to stay positive and uh, just not lose the hope that I could do anything. So when I was going through all my surgeries, I never gave up hope that there was something else that could be done. It got frustrating after five years of doing all those surgeries and seeing different doctors and having to meet new doctors and changing doctors and being told no by some doctors and turned away. Some wouldn't even see me past a phone call. Um, and, and finding the right people to take care of me that had my best interest at heart. So there was a lot of uncertainty. I personally don't remember much fear. I mean, the fear is always going under a, a, a knife and the anesthesia and then the subsequent, what about infections and what about it not working? You know, the, those fears. But to be really honest, the first time I remember really succumbing to fear to the point of this was the moment that I had to let go and lean into my faith was when I decided that amputation was all that was left for me if I wanted to truly try to live a good life. And when I made that decision in my head, I can tell you honestly, the moment that it happened and I was on a date with my husband and I remember crying. I just, I remember all the stress and being able to verbalize that amputation was it. That the moment I said that out loud to my husband, that was it for me. And I think all the stressors that have been compounding, and I wouldn't even say amputation. If you've heard any of my other podcasts, I used to say the A word. You know, I don't know if that's true or not, uh, but I think the A word is all that there's left, you know, things like that. And it was the first time that a doctor said that to me, it was like a gut punch, like I couldn't catch my breath. And actually I laughed. 
um, because it was like, I was so nervous. And when I get really nervous or stressed about stuff, I, I joke and I make, make, make people laugh. And, um, I just remember laughing and looking at my husband who was at that appointment. I mean, I had so many appointments, but I remember him being there and I just looked at him like, did he just say what I think he said? Cause nobody in our family would speak the amputation word. Uh, and then to have someone say, well, I think you're a great candidate for amputation. It was like, Oh, like you can't even, you can't even fathom unless you've been there. If you're an amputee or you're about to be that feeling when someone says that to you. And when his surgery that he did on me to save my knee didn't work, I went on vacation, got a blood clot, didn't know it, had it for about a week. And when it was diagnosed, it had moved some. And I thought, I'm not dying like this. There's no way I'm going down like this. Amputation is the only thing. And when I found the doctor that I knew had seen me before and knew that he couldn't do anything to save my leg, when I told him that this is what happened, this is where I'm at, he said, yep, you're in the right place now. It was at that point, and that was in September of 18, when I called his office and said, all right, let's book this. And we booked it for December of 18. And I thought, okay, I have September, October, November, December. I have four months to think about this. So when you finally make that decision, you're like, yes, literally a half an hour later, you go, oh my God, what did I just do? Did I just book an appointment for someone to cut my leg off? And that's when fears can start to well, and um, they will take over your daytime thinking, your night dreaming. It's crazy. There'd be days where I would just cry for no apparent reason. And I think I was just detoxing my body from the stress. And there was times when I'd go to a pain management appointment because I was still dealing with pain for those four months. And that was the moment one of my doctors there said, you know what, Um, you're kind of really freaking out here right now. And I wasn't, but I was crying in his office. I'm like, this is really scary. I can't believe I'm doing this. Like, did I exhaust everything is what I kept saying. And he's like, uh, yeah, you had 10 surgeries. You tried everything. You had different doctors look at it. This is it. Um, he prescribed me to go on an antidepressant. The problem with antidepressants is they make you depressed. <laughs> so I don't understand that. But I will tell you that most people will tell you that they take four or five, six days for it to take effect in your body. The first night I took them, my brain activated middle of the night, like let's say, I don't know, it was 12 or one o'clock and I couldn't shut my brain off. Like it was more wide awake than I can remember my brain ever being. And this is when fear struck me the hardest. And it was scary because I could not wake up from this. And it was, what if you die when you go under the knife? You mean you chose this? Are you ready to take on that responsibility to leave your two sons and your husband alone for the rest of their lives without a mother, a wife? And that right there in itself was the scariest thing I've ever seen. I'm like, how do people not bleed out? I know they use a tourniquet and everything, but when you've never done anything like that, you kind of wonder what happens and how, how does my body handle it? What happens if I go into total shock? What happens if I get an infection um, and they can't stop it, whatever? So that took over my brain. And then I started 
worrying about in my head. This was all the same night that came in. And then what are you going to do when you are, you know, 80 or 90, presuming you can live that long? Um, how are you going to handle this right now? You're like on crutches and you're strong and you're young. But what about when you're older? What happens when you have grandkids that won't come sit in your lap because they're scared to death of you because you look strange or weird or different? These things all came to my head. And you know when you have a bad dream and you finally wake up and you start blinking your eyes and then you, it, it's tangible, your dreams are tangible, and then all of a sudden you try to speak what your dream was and it's gone? That did not happen for me. I was really hoping that if I woke up and just started my day, but the anxiety and the darkness and the fear and the stress of what I felt was so seriously tangible, I could think and feel everything I felt throughout the night. And I called my doctor and they're like, no, that shouldn't have happened. When I called my PT, because I couldn't get into PT that day, I was a wreck. Um, and at that point we were just PTing my good leg, so it was prepared for the surgery. And uh, they said, you need to call your doctor. So I called my general practitioner who said, get off that now. That should not happen. I will tell you, I will never take something like that again because it messed with my brain so badly. So that was when that fear took over. And of course, as you could probably guess, it didn't end. Like those vivid imageries that I had that night, those images were just seared into my brain, into my memory, into my feelings, into my very being. And I could not let that go. And that's when I think I called my, and you have to understand, that's like four months of waiting for the surgery that could, there's nothing that could prepare you for this kind of surgery. Or what it was going to be like to not see a foot down there, a calf, a knee. I mean, there's no words to describe the fear or the anxiety that comes with going through that realization. And that's when I called my pastor. And it's actually funny because it was my pastor that I met through PT. We became friends first. Then I found out he was a pastor. And then I actually changed churches, got rebaptized at that church and uh, amid all this saga. And I called him and I said, I really need to talk to you. I just it would be great to just talk to you. So we went and sat at a coffee house and we just, I said, I don't know why I needed to talk to you. I have no idea what I'm going to talk to you about. And he goes, I was wondering the same thing. He goes, I'm not sure what you want to talk about or how you wanted this to go. And we just shot the breeze. I just, I think just being there put me at peace knowing that I was where I needed to be at that moment. And I just even asked him about, I, I wanted the attention off me, right? Like I was done thinking about me. I was like, so how are things going for you? What's the pastor's life like? Are you hanging in there? Is it tough right now? You know, all these weird things. And, um, you know, he, he obliged by talking because I don't think pastors get that question very often. I think everybody goes to a pastor for help, but doesn't ask their pastor what they need. So we sat and talked and talked and talked. And the craziest thing that solidified my faith and my belief in a much more powerful being with a purpose for me beyond what I could have ever imagined happened when I got in the car, said goodbye. He, I asked him if he would be there for my surgery, so he was going to be there to pray over me before I went in. 
I got to my car, and as I was getting the car started, I like a like something hit me like a a truck, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And as stupid as this may seem, the load that was lifted off my heart and my emotions at that moment of that epiphany. I, I called him right away and I said, I figured it out. And he's like, what'd you figure out? And I just said, I have been taking the weight of this as this is my decision and I have to live with it, good or bad in the end, when all along this was God's plan for me. And when I realized and took the pressure off of me making a mistake by scheduling the surgery, I got to look back, you know, hindsight, right? 2020. I got to look back at all the moments that I went, oh my gosh, that was a leading moment to this. This was a leading moment to this person. This was leading me to this. This was choreographed well beyond anything I could have. I had to get here. I had to reconcile myself and be emotionally ready. And I had to have felt like I've exhausted all my resources. I've tried everything. I had to be at my last straw before I could accept the journey that I was meant to go on. And when I did, everything fell into place. I got to tell you that happened. I think it took me a couple months. I think that happened in mid-November. So a month before, so I had like three months of just up and down emotions, like riding the white waves. And about no mid-November when I met with him, that's when that happened. And that four or five weeks prior to the surgery from that point on was literally the most uplifting, exciting, positive time I can ever remember in all those years of surgeries and decision-making. And I was at peace, so at peace that when I woke up the morning of my surgery, I was cracking jokes. My husband thought I was kind of getting maniacal, but I wasn't. I was just happy. And to make things even crazier sounding, of all the 10 surgeries prior to my amputation, there wasn't a surgery that I didn't wake up feeling sick as a dog. They had to totally medicate me prior to surgeries because I would throw up as soon as I started to wake up. And some people didn't believe me and waited to give me something when I woke up and I was already throwing up. This surgery, which my biggest fear after getting over the hump of something happening to me, was what? how would I react to looking down and seeing my leg completely gone? You know, I had a hard time seeing the big incision from my knee replacements. I mean, I really struggled with seeing the big incision and all the staples. (laughs) How am I going to handle missing my entire leg? I was like, am I crazy to think about this? Like, is this, and and I talked to some amputees. I said, no, that was their biggest fear too. and, And that was the hardest moment they said for them. When I woke up from my surgery, my family was there to greet me. And the looks on their faces when I woke up with a smile and woke up right away. Like there was some surgeries that took me an hour and a half, two hours before I would even show signs of waking up. And it worried my husband a lot. This one, I woke up, I'm smiling. I was talking to my family. My boys looked at me like they'd seen a ghost. They were like, are you good? And I'm like, I'm great. And that night I got up on crutches and I was walking around. 
And I said, man, when I leaned into my faith and I had a belief system that said, do not worry, I've got you, there was no looking back from there. And I am forever grateful for my faith and the people that surrounded me with those encouraging words and scripture, verses, um, comments, because that is what saw me through fear. And I know it's not for everybody, but we all have something we believe in, right? I'm just telling you what happened with me. And to me, that is my testimony because I went to make that decision and then came to the realization that it was never my decision in in the beginning, but me being prompted that direction to make it feel like it was my decision all along, but it really wasn't. And I had to reconcile that. And once I did, that fear of the unknown was lifted because all I knew was I was going to be taken care of and I was going to be okay. And here I am four and a half years later, almost five years um, in December, and I am truly living proof that it will be okay. And I am, I love my life. I, I would do it again. If I got thrown in the same situation, people have asked, if you... If you had to do it all over again, would you even done karate? Yes, I would have, because you know what? At that time, my boys and I were taking classes together, which was a part of the dynamics and the fabric I wanted them to have in their memories, that that's something we did that was special. I wouldn't take that away just because I was worried. And would I have chosen this doctor and this doctor? Do I believe that any of them, there was malpractice? No, I don't. I just believe this was what I had to journey through to get here and be confident with that decision. Does that make sense? And I know that some of you listening are struggling with certain things. That fear of the unknown, oh, it can just eat away at your soul. And you can just, it can destroy each and every day if you let it fester and get after you and if you don't take care of yourself. And, you know, I think, you know, I always end my each, each, um, podcast, I like to end with a call to action. And I guess this week's call to action was wherever you're at right now, even if you're not an amputee or that's not even on your radar, we all have something that we fear that's that might be happening, that might happen, might being the key word there. But the problem is that we weren't, we're, <laughs> unfortunately, we are built to worry but as, as someone who believes in a creator, our creator doesn't want us to worry. He wants us to lean into him for that support. And when we can let go of the fear of that unknown and live for this moment, then we can live a healthier, better life that is meant for us. And the endless possibilities of good things that can happen for us when we let go of things we can't control. I can't control a future. I can't. As an amputee, I can tell you it has not been easy. It has not. But what has helped me is knowing that this is what I have for the rest of my life. I have two choices. I can wallow in this and really let bad days become horrendous weeks and months and pity parties and anger and let that fester. And you know what happens when that happens? You take it out on the people that care about you most. And that's not right for them to go through. So we have that option. That's option A. Option B is, okay, so it's hard right now. 
but I know I'm stronger. That is why we unleashed that warrior. That is why I made this podcast is because we all are built with an internal warrior and we all need to figure out how to let that out so that we can live a healthy, happy life. And I really hope that if you're listening and you need this or you know someone who's going through something and they're just, it's eating them alive, share this with them, share this message with them. It's okay we all have an uncertain uncertainties, right? We don't know what tomorrow brings. We don't know what a phone call might lead to. We don't know what a job offer might bring us. We don't know when kids go off to college how things will go for them. But we can't sit and worry about it because that's not what we're meant to do. We're meant to love. We're meant to be kind. We're meant to get out in the world and enjoy life while we have this life. So I tell you, this call to action this week Take it seriously. What is it that's overcoming you right now that, that you are fearful of? Can you control it? If not, let it go. Take some deep, deep breaths. Slow down the thinking. Turn your t- attention to whatever is pressing in your life right now. Your child, your pet, your job, your spouse. What is it that needs you now? redirect your attention to the thing that's happening in front of you because you know what that thing in front of you may not be there forever our pets don't outlive us most of them don't our spouses can only take so much neglect and anger from you until they decide that this is not the life for them anymore your kids are not going to be two and four for the rest of their life and you will miss out if you aren't present and in the moment So I hope this helps. Like I said, I'd love to do this. I have a couple more series, uh, weeks of fear that I want to talk about and helping you get through and, and kind of shedding the light on what I've gone through and how, what helped me and what I used and utilized in my life to get me through uncertainty and fears and, and stumbling blocks because we were meant for more and you are worthy and you are beautiful and you are a warrior whether you believe it or not so until next time i'm so grateful for you and i hope you have a blessed week as always be healthy be happy be here